millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The moment they've prayed for so long has finally arrived. Where were you on the 16th of June, 2016? I know exactly where I was. I was behind the goal at the Park Olympic as Gareth McCauley soared above the Ukraine defence to score one of the most famous goals in the history of Northern Irish When Nalm again scored that second goal, the Kings of Leon were born. Still McGuinness. Chantea McGuinness. Yeah! Michael O'Neill had turned a team of international no-hopers into a side that were forced to be reckoned with on the world stage. And now, he's back. It's great, to be honest. You know, excited about obviously the challenge and the prospect of being the senior national team men's manager again. Can O'Neill recapture the magic of Lyon and lead the Green and White Army to Germany for Euro 2024? Or will a second stint as Northern Ireland manager fall flat? The Green and White Army are on their way! Michael O'Neill has worked wonders. I'm Keith Bailey, I'm the host of today's Bell Tell. Later in the show, we will speak to former Northern Ireland international Stephen Cregan. But first, I'm joined by the Belfast Telegraph's chief sports writer, Stephen Beacom. Stephen, what are your memories of that magic day in Lyon? Ah, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Northern Ireland beating Ukraine. How will we ever forget it? It's funny, you know, Keith, um, I was lucky enough to cover World Cups and European Championships before, but um, 2016 was the first time I covered one with Northern Ireland in it. So there was great excitement about that. Then um, I think we all hit a block in the road after the first match when Poland beat Northern Ireland. Um, uh, but fair play to Michael O'Neill. He changed things up, changed the system, changed the team, and he came up trumps against Ukraine. Um, I remember the, the heel in the middle of the match and everyone having to go off. I remember Garth McCauley's goal, his towering header, and just the noise inside that stadium. And then I remember Niall McGinn scoring an injury time to seal it and um, I have to be honest um, uh, as a reporter you're supposed to be neutral but when McGinn scored that goal to make it 2-0 I was up and um, it was just a joyous feeling to see Northern Ireland win because for for myself and uh, a whole new generation of Northern Ireland fans 
We'd never seen that live. The last time that Northern Ireland had been in a major tournament was in 1986. And um, I know I was only a kid then, and um, uh, so many fans that were in Leon that day weren't even born. So to see Northern Ireland win in a major tournament was a joy to behold. And in the mix zone afterwards, just speaking to the players and how happy they were and how proud they were that they had taken part in such a historic occasion was um, uh, a fantastic experience. Um, so pleased for Stephen Davis, the captain. Um, he came down the mix zone talking to all the, the people who were going to interview him and he couldn't take the smile off his face. And um, for someone who'd put so much into it for Northern Ireland and seen so many bad times, it was great to see someone like Stephen Davis enjoy the good times. Incredible feeling. I don't know if it's really sunk in yet, but um, what a night! Like, you can ask for it to go any better. Like, it's what dreams are made of, really. Yeah, it was funny. I, I had the chance to go and cover that um, as a journalist, and I just thought, I can't do this. This is probably the only chance I'll get, so I'm going to go as a fan. And my memory of that day is being simultaneously sunburnt, but also soaking wet, because there's, there was the bright sun beforehand, and then the hail that followed afterwards. It was just really surreal night, and then we were up to the small, small hours of the morning partying in, in the centre of Leon. I don't think it was home day, about 4am, so it was it was um, a special occasion, but let's be fair, um, we're here to talk about Michael O'Neill. He's back for a second stint as Northern Ireland manager. It's great, to be honest, you know, it's uh, similar to I felt, you know, I think it was 11 years ago, excited uh, about obviously the challenge and the prospect of being the senior national team men's manager again and uh, you know like anything nervous a little bit apprehensive of all all those emotions but you know it's nice getting back in here today obviously his success in the first and it wasn't just Leon you know qualifying for that was incredible and then did very well in the World Cup in 2018 you know missed out on that by you know the the ridiculous penalty decision in the playoff against Switzerland what was the secret of, of Michael O'Neill's success in, in that first stint? Michael O'Neill got buy-in from the players. That was the key element. You'll remember before Michael O'Neill, Nigel Worthington's reign ended in just a joke um, circumstance because there was that defeat in Estonia when the Northern Ireland fans turned on him and they wanted him out. Now, um, Nigel actually um, fell on his own sword. He resigned. And then there was a big question mark of, as to who was coming in. O'Neill was interviewed. Ian Dowie was interviewed. And Jim Magilton was interviewed. At the start of that process, O'Neill was looked upon as the underdog, but he did a great interview, and from there, he just went from strength to strength. It was a, a tenure that did, that wasn't without its difficulties, though, Keith, because um, if you recall in his first campaign, Northern Ireland were terrible on occasions. They lost to Luxembourg, um, uh, and I labelled that as Northern Ireland's worst ever defeat. And I'll tell you a quick story. Um, uh, a couple of days after that, Michael O'Neill texted me and um, said, how can you say that was Northern Ireland's worst defeat? And I said, well, it was the worst defeat ever. Uh, there's no question about it. Luxembourg are a bunch of part-timers. It was like we were playing butcher bakers and candlestick makers and they still beat us. And um, Michael, um, who is a very proud man, um, he then started to text me all these other results in Northern Ireland's history 
history. I'm um, saying that this one was worse, this one was worse, and I was saying, no, Michael, um, Luxembourg was the worst, and um, uh, we we begged to to differ on that. But that showed you what Michael O'Neill was all about. First of all, attention to detail. Secondly, um, a very proud man, and thirdly, um, in terms of what he did with the players, it was extraordinary. Keith, he went to to see and to meet all of the players whenever he became manager, and um, he didn't just talk to them about football. He talked to them about their families, he talked to them about their life outside the game and um, a lot of them became friends you know and the relationship that he has with Stephen Davis, Johnny Evans, Corey Evans, the experienced players um, it's still there to this very day and that's all because of what he did at the start um, I look now that he's brought Aaron Hughes into his backroom staff um, Aaron Hughes had retired before Michael O'Neill came on board and he brought Aaron Hughes back in and Hughes was brilliant um, for the duration of, of Michael O'Neill's management. So the secret of his success was without doubt bringing the players on board and um, telling them that, yes, they could make it to a major tournament because before that they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it under Nigel Worthington, but they certainly did under Michael O'Neill. And there was um, there, there, there were some fans who wanted Michael O'Neill out after the first campaign, but um, I certainly didn't because, um, and I'm not shy in calling for managers' heads, by the way, but um, the reason I didn't want him out was because I knew the players had faith in him, had trust in him, and that was to show in that um, famous Euro 2016 qualifying campaign and thereafter. And um, Michael O'Neill was a monumental success as Northern Ireland manager first time around. Michael O'Neill has worked wonders from the despair of Azerbaijan and Luxembourg to the top of the mountain. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what always strikes me about Michael is what you've touched on there. He's a details, details-oriented manager and he, he was very tactically astute and very flexible tactically. He never had, like, the one fixed formation that was always responding to, to the opposition. Um, great success he had with Northern Ireland. But if I'm listening to this this podcast and we're talking about how great Michael O'Neill is I'm, and I'm not a big Northern Ireland fan, I might have the question, well, why did it not work for him at Stoke City? Stoke City was um, uh, uh, an interesting project for Michael O'Neill. Um, he had been offered numerous club jobs before he went to Stoke City. Um, uh, Scotland had um, wanted him as well, and he turned his back on them to stay with Northern Ireland. But the Stoke City one appealed to him because um, of the ownership, and he thought he could really work with the owners. Um, and uh, Michael does his preparation, but even with his amount of detail, I'm not sure he truly knew what he was getting into there. Because because, um, uh, to be frank, Stoke was a mess on and off the pitch. Um, they had come down from the Premier League and there were still a number of players there who had um, wanted to stay on because they were on Premier League wages. And um, he had to get rid of the dead wood. And um, he also had to fix a lot of finances um, off the pitch. In my opinion, if Michael O'Neill was to go into Stoke City again, he would do it differently. He wouldn't spend so much time... Um, assessing what was going on financially and he would try to spend more time um, on the football side of things because while the club was in better shape when he left it off the pitch um, they were still struggling on it and um, he actually did well to stay there as long as he did given the the, the quickness of managers getting the sack in the championship um, and I think that was because of his excellent relationship with the owners what I would say is um, Michael would tell you it was a big success but Ultimately, it's all about results on the pitch. 
Um, the fans don't look too much at results off the pitch and he didn't get them into the Premier League um, which was a major disappointment for him. What I would add is though that he learnt a lot from his time in club management at that level and hopefully he'll bring that knowledge into his job as Northern Ireland manager second time around. Yeah, and while Michael O'Neill was at Stoke City, Northern Ireland were managed by Ian Barclough. He stepped up from the under-21s. It's fair to say, while there were some positive results, like the the 0-0 draw against Italy, things didn't go to plan and eventually Ian Barclough was sacked. What's your reflections on that period of of Northern Ireland's footballing history? It's funny. um, uh, In June last year, I covered all four matches of the Nations League and um, I could see that there was... There wasn't the right chemistry between the players and the manager. And I wrote about it. Um, it didn't do me any favours in the Irish FA circles. It certainly didn't do me any favours with Ian Bartloff. And um, I called for Ian's head um, in the, the latter two, after the latter two Nations League matches because I knew it wasn't working. Um, uh, every football ground I went to at the start of this season um, was basically saying to me, uh, there was fans saying to me, so, um, well, you got Bartloff the sack then, didn't you? I didn't. I didn't get him the sack at all. I just called it how I saw it. And um, uh, the results got Ian Bartloff the sack. They weren't good enough, Keith, um, plain and simple. I don't think his relationship with the players was as strong as it could have been. And I think he made mistakes. I liked him as a person, but um, uh, his reign um, ended up to be short-lived because of what happened on the pitch. And um, uh, when Michael O'Neill became available, it was almost like the perfect storm for the Irish FA because the fans were chanting for Ian to go. The players, um, uh, for me, there was too many of them not turning up and that's a telltale sign with any international manager. And um, then you had obviously criticism from the likes of myself. So the IFA had a decision to make and they made the right one, particularly with Michael O'Neill available. And you can just see the feel-good factor is oozing out of the Green and White Army at this moment in time because O'Neill is back and I think he'll come back with a bang. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there are a lot of issues and a lot of new challenges facing Michael O'Neill going forward. Um, Looking at the squad, it's changed a fair bit from his, his first stint as manager. I suppose we, we talked about that day in Lyon right at the top of the show. Is it the end of the road for the Kings of Lyon? I mean, Steve Davis, long-term injury. Cal Lafferty, now at Limfield, not selected for this squad. Stuart Dallas has injury problems. The Evans brothers have injury problems. Now begins at Glen Torren. What's the future for the, the old guard, if you like? Well, out of those six, if you think about it, um, Kyle Lafferty and Niall McGinn are on standby. So those are the two that were left out of the squad. Um, Michael O'Neill says that um, their time is not necessarily over and he won't shut the door on anyone. So you got to um, take him on his word in that. But um, uh, with him leaving out those two players, given all the injuries, um, you would have to be honest and say it's going to be a long way back for Kyle and Niall now to play for Northern Ireland again. I'm not saying they won't, but it's a long way back. And um, given the injury situation, um, who knows, they could still play a part in this campaign. Um, uh, the other four, Stephen Davis, Johnny Evans, Corey Evans, Stuart Dallas, um, uh, 100% Michael O'Neill still believes there is a place for them. Had um, Davis, Dallas and Corey Evans not been injured, they would have been in this squad. And I'll tell you now, Keith, they would have been starting both games. 
I mean, there's a lot of negativity really about the, the quality of the Northern Ireland squad at the moment. But actually, when you look at it, there's some some things to be excited about. There's a generation of younger new talent there. Shay Charles at Man City, uh, Trey Hume, um, Connor uh, Bradley, Dan Ballard, Isaac Price at Everton. There are reasons to be to be optimistic there. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he's brought in Isaac Price into this squad. Um, I know the England um, national team in the Republic of Ireland were looking at Price. This is a guy who's already played for Everton, um, and he's only a teenager. Frank Lampard thinks the world of him, so it's only right that he gets this call. I'm really excited by him. Um, in terms of Connor Bradley and Trey Hume, I think that's a big selection dilemma for Michael O'Neill and possibly the biggest because um, they're two of the, the form players and uh, they're at club level. Like Bradley has been playing out of his skin for Bolton in League One and Trey Hume has taken to playing for Sunderland like a duck to water. But um, yeah, ideally you want Davis, the two Evans, Dallas, all of those boys fit and firing because the kids learn so much from them. But um, uh, these boys maybe will get a chance against San Marino and it's up to them to take it. I know um, Connor and Trey Hume won't be found wanting, I can guarantee you that. And Daniel Ballard, for me, Keith, he's a, a future Northern Ireland captain. I rate him that highly. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the Hume-Bradley thing is very interesting. Hume's maybe the more defensive of the two, so maybe you could have Hume at right back and you push Bradley on the wing. But, you know, Michael O'Neill talked a little bit about possibly Hume could play right of a back three and, and then Bradley could be the right wing back. But I think there's ways that you could fit both those two in. There, there's options there. Um, on to the group, Group H. Northern Ireland have got Denmark, Finland, Slovenia, Kazakhstan and San Marino. It's a good draw, isn't it? Northern Ireland got lucky. Um, uh, I know Michael O'Neill will say it's a tough group, um, but he could have got a whole lot tougher. You just have to look at the Republic of Ireland to see who they have drawn. So um, I think when you get that sort of luck, Keith, you have to take advantage. And it's up to Northern Ireland to do that. They couldn't have two better games to start either. You know, um, they've got an away game in San Marino and even with all the injuries, Northern Ireland should swat them away like an unwanted fly. And then they've got Finland at home at Windsor. Michael O'Neill's homecoming, the atmosphere that night is going to be absolutely electric and um, that should help see Northern Ireland over the line in that one. Um, so if you've got six points out of six, that's a heck of a start. And um, I truly believe Northern Ireland can get maximum points. I'd be hugely disappointed if they don't. What would it mean for the Northern Ireland fans if they were to qualify for Euro 2024 in Germany? Well, first of all, the parties would just be wonderful to see. Um, I think the Northern Ireland fans, up until Michael O'Neill came along, they had to put up with um, the odd glorious result here and there. I'm talking about beating England when David Healy scored the winner. I'm talking about beating Spain when David Healy scored the hat-trick. And while they were momentous occasions and will forever be etched in our minds, there's something really special about qualifying for a tournament. Um, I imagine all of the Northern Ireland fans will have watched the World Cup um, uh, late last year and um, will have been thinking, goodness me, I wish we were there. And um, to go to Germany in 2024 would be something else. I covered um, a, a tournament in Germany, the World Cup in 2006, and it is a phenomenal country to see football in because the Germans love their football. And um, I'd love to see Northern Ireland playing in Munich or Berlin or Frankfurt, places like that, and the Green and White Army um, just coming in in their thousands. I think it would be wonderful for the fans, and I think it would be a huge lift for the country. And um, we 
we can all do that. And we have the right man in charge now to make that happen. I do believe Michael O'Neill, um, his appointment is one of the best things the Irish FA have done in recent years. And um, I sincerely wish him and the players all the very best over the next few weeks and months and years ahead. A win tonight qualifies. That's well, all Michael would want, and that's certainly that's all I'm interested in. The moment they've prayed for so long has finally arrived. The Green and White Army are on their way. A monumental achievement. Thank you, Stephen. Now I'm joined by former Northern Ireland international Stephen Cregan. Stephen won 54 caps for his country between 2003 and 2011, playing those famous victories over England and Spain. Oh, he's on the side, Healy for Northern Ireland, real chance, and he scored! Oh, what a moment for Northern Ireland! David Healy scores their first goal against England for 25 years! Retiring just before Michael O'Neill arrived for his first stint as manager of the national team. Uh, Stephen, you played with most of the players that uh, Michael O'Neill inherited. Were you surprised when he had so much success for that squad? Well, I think what we have to remember is it wasn't all swimming. Uh, sorry, swimming at the, at the start, Keith, it was a bit of a challenge trying to you know, get the squad together. Probably Michael learning on international football. It was a step up from him from the League of Ireland. You know, the players were trying to find their feet, but even though results weren't good initially, I remember speaking to a lot of the players and they, they liked his ideas, they liked his demeanour, they liked how he broke the game down, how he analysed it, you know, the tactics he was trying to put out. And I have to say, in, in quite a lot of the games early on, I thought the team actually played quite well and didn't get the results to back it up. So clearly there had to be a degree of patience from everyone, players, supporters, and even the IFA board. So thankfully with that patience, it paid off. So... I think as time went on, you could see how well drilled the team were, how you know how invested they were in what he was trying to do and what he was saying, and that came across on the pitch. And once success started, then it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, incredible times, of course, that run to the, the Euros in France and, and so close to qualifying for Russia in 2018. But he's back now, but it's a different set of players, largely. Is there any doubt in your mind that this was the right move from the IFA? Because, you know, there will be people out there who say, you know, you, you never go back or it's never as good the second time around. It, it feels like, you know, th- this should be a very positive appointment. Well, in theory, it should be. We all know football doesn't play out that way sometimes. Um, I just think negotiation really keen to go back to someone who knew how it all worked who had been there before and had understanding the workings of senior international football. Now, I know Stephen Robinson, who's a good friend of mine, was was potentially one of the candidates. And I think mm-hmm. something like Stephen would even have worked, even someone like Jim McGilton would have worked because they'd been around the system, they'd been around the setup, they knew what it meant, they knew what was required to try and get results against the odds. And ultimately, that's what we have to do. We have to get results against the odds. We're fifth seed in our camp in our group for a reason because we're the fifth best team as it stands out so we're going to have to overachieve we're going to have to win games we shouldn't be winning we're going to have to draw games we shouldn't be drawing and when you look at the history of Michael's international management career that's exactly how it panned out you know there was results and challenges that we faced that we overcame and we thought oh you know, how did we do that what went with that so I just think it was the right one at the right time probably because he was available probably helped 
But I just think to convince the older players, Watson is going to be out and may not play any part in this campaign. Stuart sure. Dallas, hopefully, will be back very soon. Johnny Evans, Craig Cathcart, just to convince those guys to give it one last push. I think having that familiar face and that familiar voice may have also played a part knowing that underneath that, the squad isn't as strong as what it should be. I suppose the big question that all Northern Ireland fans will be asking is, can Northern Ireland qualify from this group? We've got Kazakhstan, two Scandinavian teams, San Marino, you know it is. It's a kinder group than perhaps we've been used to in the past. Um, what are your thoughts going into this campaign? Well, it's most, you know the thing I'm asking is the top two achievable. And really, we probably shouldn't be asking that question after what we've witnessed in the last couple of years. But there's always optimism when a new manager comes in and you know, again, a manager I've touched on that we know, you know, we know the players respect and probably can't wait to get working with them again. So that's what gives me optimism and, you know, I hope gives the players and the and the supporters plenty of optimism. I think we can get the top two because if you think back to the group in Euro 2016 when we qualified, you know, there was a lot of countries of a similar level. Mm. So they were taking points off each other. You know, there, there's no two or three standout teams who are going to dominate the group. Denmark probably should, but I think there's points to be had off the likes of Slovenia, off the likes of Finland, Kazakhstan. Of course, it's going to be difficult away from home, but I think you know our home form has to dramatically improve. There's no doubt. Under Ian Barclough, you know, rightly or wrong, we didn't win enough home games. We didn't win enough games in general, but we didn't win enough home games. So Northern Ireland, need, sorry, Windsor Park needs to be not a fortress, but it needs to be a place where our players enjoy going to play as opposed to the opposition. You know, you then look at Michael's final three campaigns. Uh, Euro 2016, World Cup 2018, Euro 2020, getting off to a fast start was absolutely imperative in those three campaigns. And Michael will probably have highlighted that, or he will highlight that to the players. He will have put it down in black and white for them and, and, and will will be driving into them the importance of getting away in a good start because it's hard to go chasing in a group when you've only, what, 10 games. If you're disappointed in looking three or four, it's probably away from you by then. So Sam Reno away, win first of all Finland at home you'd probably take a point but ultimately if you could somehow find a way to win a game that's probably what we haven't done over the past couple of years is found a way to win games when we haven't been at our best or we've struggled or it's been a close 50-50 game we've always seemed to come out in the wrong end of it so if you could turn that into three points suddenly you're talking six out of six with Denmark to come in the summer along with Kazakhstan at home and then suddenly the optimism and the belief and the confidence starts to grow so I'm kind of trying to break it down from a positive perspective but that's what's made me believe, Keith, that we can go and potentially, if we put a good start together, we can potentially go and qualify and finish second. Stephen, thanks very much. Northern Ireland will kick off their campaign away to San Marino on Thursday before returning to Belfast to play Finland on Sunday evening. You can follow the action on belfasttelegraph.co.uk forward slash sport where we will have all the latest news from the Northern Ireland camp including player interviews, opinion pieces, live blogs and reaction. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Keith Bailey, with sound design by Graham Davidson. The comedy clips you heard were by ITV Sport, Sky Sports and the Irish FA. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.